You're listening to a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. We are the Elsers. Welcome to Elsner's A production of Galactic Network. I'm Gregor Sprague, and joining me is Corey Scott. And for all info on this show, including uh, subscription links and show notes, go to elsnerds.com. And for other Galactic Network programs, go to gncast.com. And as a warning, on Elsner's, we tend to shut our mouths off without thinking, so we will both spoil things and swear liberally. You have been warned. And Corey, where are your glasses? I, I just took him off. So Else Nerds uh, is the show that Stephen Amell listens to in his car instead of Beyonce albums. <laughs> I would say besides being the elite episodes, um, to use a re- wrestling thing because he's friends with Cody Rhodes and all that. But... Sure. <laughs> and he's going to be at a wrestling thing in September in Chicago, and I really want to go to it. But this is not a wrestling show. No, this is not. This is about, well, okay. With the exception of my else views, it is not a wrestling show. But yeah, this is about everything else, including some quick news stories that, I mean, really, they're short and sweet to the point. Um, The first one. That'll be a first. <laughs> yeah, the first one is that SNL executive producer, creative mastermind behind a lot of things, Lauren Michaels, is leaving his Paramount deal to join over uni- with Universal Films, you know, basically he's not going to make any movies over with Paramount going to Universal and he's extending his deal with NBC. This is going to extend not only him at SNL, which it would be until uh, the show hits the 50 year mark, but you know, it'd be somewhere in 2025, but also extending his primetime deals with AP, his um, executive producing the half hour comedy AP bio, as well as executive producing all of the late night programming, essentially on NBC with both the tonight show Jimmy and yeah, Jimmy Fallon and Seth Myers over there, as well as one IFC show that I will not mention because Corey hates it. And I, the- you, you can talk <laughs> about it all you want. I'm just going to need shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he also executive produced uh, Portlandia and executive produces the other, the show uh, documentary now over at IFC. What were the films that he's been doing with Paramount? So I don't know which, which ones he's done over at Paramount, but uh, Mean Girls, Baby Mama, Wayne's World, Tommy Boy, Three Amigos, there are some of the big ones that he's done. So but pretty I th- much everybody who's come from doing Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. going into movies, yeah. he's been the producer on their work. Yeah, exactly. And like I, I think that's how it started, but I know because I think he executive produced FXX's Man Seeking Woman, but that hmm. was through, that was sort of through SNL because you look at Fred Armisen at you know who's the SNL connection to Portlandia? I try not to. Well, but still, I know you. I know you don't like him, but you. I'm just teasing. But and then the director for a lot of the Portlandia episodes, and actually one of the executive producers on there, uh, Jonathan Crystal, actually created or well executive produced Man Seeking Woman, and okay. not. So there's so it's basically like as soon as he gets an in with someone, then he's basically like, okay, boom, Broadway video will will help you out if you have an idea for something that is funny. But yeah, so that's really good to see. I mean. Basically that, you know, someone, you know, with the staying power is going to be there, you know, for, I looked at at the SNL side, you know, he's going to be there for, you know, 
until 2025 where we're going to see a 50th anniversary where hopefully we won't, we won't see Kanye West singing to the uh, light stage thing right here in front of his face. I'm so dumb on the SNL 40th anniversary special, but I digress. <laughs> Do you think that means Keenan's going to be there the entire time too? <laughs> God, there's part of me that hopes so, but at the same time, I don't because if he's going to have a Tim Meadows career, I want to see him have the second part of the Tim Meadows career, much like the next new, the next little quick hit news story where the Goldberg spinoff is getting picked up two series by ABC with Tim Meadows, Brian Callen and AJ Michalka set to star. Now, this is interesting because they aired the pilot already. Um, it aired as a special called um, 1990 something, which featured Tim Meadows and Brian Callen, who to Meadows plays the he becomes um, the principal of the school right yeah. now he in the the Goldberg show he's still one of the, the counselors the, yeah the guidance counselor and all that stuff and then Brian Callen was the gym teacher and the interesting one for me is the fact that you're getting AJ Michalka who plays Lainey Lewis aka Barry Goldberg's girlfriend and so it's one of those like you know she, with her coming in as a teacher so that I'm like that's interesting because, you know, in theory, you could have a blackish, grownish thing where you got Dion Cole and Yara Shahidi appearing on both shows, but that they're set in the same time, not in theory, 10, possibly 10 years apart and stuff. So it's like, you know, in one part, she's going to have to look 10 years older. Or at well, the most it, it's funny because that is the thing is that in theory, 10 years apart, but not really because yeah. the Goldbergs is always 1980 something. This is 1990-somethings. They could be one year apart, if that. Yeah. But there's no way to really track, and it depends on how long the Goldbergs themselves actually intend to go. If Goldbergs yeah. go more than 10 seasons, uh, which is effectively 10 years, they should ace themselves out of the 80s, but time is amorphous. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. They, they've never given a statement as anything, and, and obviously we've jumped forward in time and backward in time on that show in the references and stuff that they use. Yeah. Uh, so you're just along for the ride to enjoy for the, the laughs. That's the thing that gets me, though, is that we saw the essentially the premiere episode of this, the, the pilot spinoff, and I didn't think it was that great. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted it to be better. I, I liked all the people in it. Adding Lainey because she's another established character and, and more established, I think, than Tim Meadows' character and mm -hmm. the and the coach may give it that extra something. She was very talented on the Goldbergs, but she was also always on there with either Barry or with Erica. The, this is Erica, yeah. So, well, it's so the the interesting part here with this is, the, you know, the spinoff is being written by Mark Firek, F I R E K. And so this is a redoing of the pilot. So it's taking what that was and probably using the better parts of it, of the, the 1990-something special. Do you think um, they're getting rid of the, the sister, Tim Meadows' sister and, and her kid? The other, well, I, I think so because there's a quote in here that Adam or Adam F. Goldberg, the creator of both shows, and you know how this is the Goldbergs is loosely based off of his life, you know, he, that he says that he's wanting to go away from the family aspect and go to the job aspect, you know, more of a workplace comedy and, st and, you know, and all that. So, I mean, that could be, you know, one of the things is, you know, we're not really focusing in on the kids so much. We're going to focus in on, you know, Glasgow coach focusing Keller. on the kids in the school would be something it, it, yeah. it could go yeah. in more of a, uh, I know this is probably outside of your wheelhouse ahead of a class, mm -hmm. uh, thing. 
or honestly, AP Bio. Yeah, which is I think nailing the the school atmosphere of of both the teachers' aspects and the the students' aspects, and to me was a has been a much superior show than what this was before, and and honestly, than where the Goldbergs is right now. The Goldbergs is starting to feel a little forced, mm-hmm. uh, like they've done all they can. Uh, Erica being away at college. The last episode, I don't remember if Adam was even there. It, it's they're starting to I mean, the kids are starting to age out, which is tough. Do you remember that 70s show when Kelso left and Eric left and they brought in Seth Meyers, brother Owen to the group and it became very Fez centric mm-hmm. and, and Jackie just like, like dated her way through the entire group of people like vaguely like I don't because I remember then. It was they they added him, but then they also added whatever the star of Reaper in there as well. I don't remember that. I, I know that they they replaced Eric's sister, uh, because unfortunately that actress uh had a lot of problems and passed away uh, eventually. But uh but it, it just the whole thing was very cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch. It's just Oh, let's do what we can to to bring in the new cute or to to keep things interesting when we've we've lost some of the long term characters, especially the focus characters. And to do a spinoff show that isn't about the focus characters, it's tough. It is really tough because it's it's it, is it just the also rans? Mm-hmm. It's rare that you'll get a spinoff show that will be in the same success range as the original show. And and I think even rarer still to have them being at the same time. Like Cheers had a couple of tries at spinoff shows. They did a Fratelli's. I want to say that they did another one, but I don't remember exactly what it was. But Frasier came out after Cheers. So it didn't have to be compared to Cheers at the same time. And it's not like you're watching Cheers and going, well, where the hell's Frasier? Oh, yeah, he's over on this other thing. It's like after Cheers, there was just Frasier and Frasier was a completely different setting, a whole new cast of characters. Every once in a while, they bring in one of the, the old hats. Other shows that have done this, like Joni Loves Chachi from Happy Days. It's just it's always tough. The the Ropers off of Three's Company. And but then after Three's Company ended, they did Three's a Crowd with Jack Tripper and, and really wasn't any better. I just I look at this and they're all Again, great people. They're they're very enjoyable on the Goldberg show. I've missed Lainey. It would be nice yeah. to see Lainey come back to the Goldbergs itself. But doing this is, I guess, the next best thing. And also the the last ish uh, episode that you're talking about of uh, the Goldbergs was called Flashy Little Flash Dancer, and it Adam was, was in that one. Yeah, Adam was in that one, but it was a little bit more focused on Beverly. It it's been more focused on the parents. Because yeah. the kids, they're getting to their empty nest stage. Mm-hmm. The, the kids are all in different things and are going to be disappearing again to schools and stuff. And it, it's losing some of, I think, the magic of the family. I think in, in the Goldbergs, the family was very important. Yeah. So making this about the school is easier to do, although you have to age out the students every few years. It's just... We'll see. We'll see if the writing is there. And that's what I think the problem was, is in that pilot episode, the writing really wasn't there. It just it didn't hammer down the same kind of uh, comedy chops that they'd done on the other show. And also, I don't know if the 90s are the same level of nostalgia as the 80s are. Yeah, I mean, that could honestly be it, too, because, I mean, 
where there is for me with the, that because I was born in 89 so I grew up in the 90s right there is that bit of nostalgia that's also because you know I don't know what it's like to go to the to the cinema you know in 1985 and you know and watch a movie and you know and, and just stay in the movie theater for a whole day and that's because that was when my mom was in high school I think it's because <laughs> the 90s haven't really disappeared yet your average alternative yeah. station and alternative stations started coming out in the 90s to the early 2000s your average alternative station still plays the same fucking music as they were now there are our yeah. 80s stations of course so all that music still exists too but you you don't hear it in the common like modern radio stations in the same way that you still will hear your nirvana your chili peppers your bc boys that stuff that was in the 90s like it should have cycled out I don't mm. think the 90s, 90s ever sucked out. The other thing is that the fashion trends of the 80s were so crazy. Everything <laughs> about the 80s was just fucking insane. And I believe it was probably because of all the cocaine usage. Uh, because we were just so rich and broke <laughs> because of cocaine. But the 80s were like creatively just like movies were huge spectacles still. And I don't mean blockbusters, but I mean that there was just there was just something new about them. And and again, like in that mid 80s time, you had your Ghostbusters, you had your E.T., you had your Back to the Futures and all these things. And it was like the heyday for Spielberg and and Lucas wasn't the devil yet. And and all of these things that really stood out. And I, I just I felt like the 90s was when we were seeing sequelitis to a heavy degree. That's when we got the third Terminator, which just oh, oh. You like it, Terminator Two, sure, great, but Terminator Three, no, and anything past that, really, with Terminator has been a lot of nope. Yeah, I, I just I don't know. That's when we lost our love for Arnold Schwarzenegger, and so what did we get? We got we got hip hop, but but it wasn't even as cool. It's like the rap of the '80s battles and stuff. It it just I'm not saying it went to shit, but it just became a far less interesting field, and again, doesn't feel so far away from now. As weird as it is to say that we're 18 years into the 2000s, so it's been 19 years since the 90s even yeah. were a thing, you, you always kind of, you, that first 10 years into the 2000s, you just forget about it, and you're like, oh yeah, ni 90s were only 10 years ago. No. Well, but it's, like, like I, th I think even then though, it's because even in the, like, because we probably should start beginning that, beginning that nostalgia of the 90s, because of the fact that, like you said, there is a decade in between, much like in the 2000s. Well, no, no, because I mean, actually, I take that back because, you know, you look at in the 2000s, you know, in the early aughts, as it's called, we had that 70s show. And what did that 70s show have in there? It had two generations in between it. It had Although the we also had that 80s show, but that didn't that only lasted one season. Yeah, because it was bad. It was a terrible, terrible show. Yeah. So, I mean, it didn't have like, like part of me thinks that, but we have fresh off the boat, which has been doing nineties. We yeah. had that show a few years back. I think when we started doing shows together, the one on VH one where the woman's relationship broke up and she oh. knocked herself out in the elevator and woke up back in time in the nineties and, and fucked up every relationship over three times. Yeah. Like, Oh, I never dated you. Well, I'm going to bang you. Oops. Well, that was stupid. That just ruined everything and made my friend mad at me. All right. So I'm going to go bang this other guy. Oops. That just ruined everything and made my friend mad at me again. Like, first of all, your friend's kind of a bitch. 
And uh, <laughs> but, but just in general, like the fashion of that, it, it made you like, oh, yeah, this fashion was really cool. Like I still fucking wear flannel shirts all the time. That it was a 90s thing, but it wasn't really a 90s thing. It's just that's just what shit people wear. Yeah. Uh, Doc Martens, just shit people wear it. it there was nothing extraordinary about it. it. It may have been like we did it a little too much, but nothing really stood out. The, the biggest thing of the 90s was probably like the real world. Yeah, it was, so it was the, and the first say, decade of reality TV as we perceive it today. Well, and I would even say with the '90s that it was it was a lot of it was the hair because I mean you're, you're describing that immediately. I go to Boy Meets World, and it's like you look at like it was you know it was uh, you know Sean's hair how it was all you know it was always long and uh, you know, similar to how your hair is now when it's not pulled back. Oh yeah, like the the creepy factor that I did on the, the weekend. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah. Bob from Twin Peaks. No, that that's. I will give you the best description of 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 hair in the '90s. Every shitty wig that they give Arrow to wear in that show is <laughs> yeah. like every yeah. bad '90s haircut. That is what he looks like. It's like, oh fuck, they put another wig on Oliver. It's so <laughs> awful. Yeah, that's they all must be from the Boy Meets World throw off cast. Yeah, yeah, or or but. One of my favorite episodes from from rewatching Boy Meets World when it's on uh, reruns, like like wherever, is the episode where Eric's on singled out, and you know they have Chris Hardwick, Chris and they Hardwick. Do the, yeah, they do, you know, before rehab and at midnight, Chris Hardwick, where he's like, "Hey, nice hair," at the end, like it's like such a bullshit little line, but yet it works, yeah, and stuff. That was a quick story that wasn't quick, uh, but there is a segue here. And that is that a comic book that is set in the eighties, but came out, you know, in the in two in the two thousands, Deadly Class, written by Rick Remender and drawn by Wes Craig, is set to come to Sci-Fi. They ordered a pilot of the show, and the other big part here is the Russo brothers are set to be on board as well. Um, Didn't it say that they've committed to ten episodes already? Yeah, that that's what I think the story was because I thought we talked about this. And and that's why I didn't put the story into the doc was I thought we talked about this being a possibility before. And I thought we even talked about the Russos being involved in it. But this is the clarification of, oh, yeah, we we've done the pilot and we've decided we're going to go ahead with it. So it's going to actually land as a series, um, which if yeah. you're if you're sci fi, I mean, how hard are your nipples if you get the Russo brothers to do a show for you? Yeah, right now, the, the Russo brothers are executive producing alongside Rick Remender, who is Miles uh, Orion Feldst or Feldsatz, they're both adapting the series and then they're both executive producing alongside the Russo brothers and Mike LaRocca. Now, this is the one part where it's, I get because, you know, the Russos are, are really busy, but it seems like, okay, if you could have, they don't have the Russos directing the pilot and, and, right. and not to take anything away from Lee Talent Krieger, but it's like, you 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 see that title of oh the Russos are are attached onto here, but they're not directing. You sort of go wait what? Um, Didn't they direct that episode of Community where they did the elevator scene that was straight out of Captain yeah, America too? Yeah, like oh, yeah, they were yeah. already making it big, and then they came back and still did that. I thought that was terrific. So there's a chance. There's a chance that they if they've got the time, which I don't imagine that they'll have for quite a while, <laughs> they could come in and do something themselves uh, if if they're so inclined to, because they. Just from that moment, just from the fact that they got their start in things like community, they mm -hmm. seem like cool guys. But there's there's the potential. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what Deadly Class is? 
Well, so Deadly Class is one that I, I didn't really get into. So I don't know a lot about it, but what I will say real quick before, because I think you you know a little bit more about it than I do. Not really. Yeah. Um, but it stars, um, it'll star Benedict Wong, who who played Wong in Doctor Strange. You know, he'll star alongside Benjamin Wadsworth, Lana Condor, Maria Gabriela de Fer, uh, Far, Faria. Did you uh, say Lama Condor? Lana Condor. Oh, okay. It, it was... Yeah. It's still a cool name. Lana Condor is a badass name, <laughs> oh. actually. Lama Condor is just kind of funny and awesome. Yeah. Lana Condor, do you know who she is? Nope. Do you did you see the last X Men movie, the with the eighties X Men, you know, with Jubilee? Uh, I've tried to stab my eyes out from it. So yeah, she, she plays Jubilee. Jubilee. Yep. Okay. So to look, look, step back for a second, I have not enjoyed the last several X Men movies. But there was a cut scene from the movie where they had Cyclops, Jean Grey, Jubilee, the and the and the young Nightcrawler hanging out at the mall. And that scene was terrific. And that scene was mm-hmm. what I would have really loved to see more of in the movie. And the fact that they made that shows that somebody thought some cool shit up and, and, and went so far as to shoot it and everything. And... I don't know whose hand decided, like, no, let's get her that shit and do all this other dumb fucking crap with with everything else. But that scene itself was like so a hundred percent what I'd love to see from any X Men movie going forward because it was just so much fun and it reminded me of reading the X Men in the eighties and mm-hmm. they did a couple issues. Uh, they did specifically the issue where Jubilee was introduced in Uncanny X Men, which was all about the X uh, women characters. When they were all hiding in Australia and most of the people thought they were dead, yeah. uh, hanging out at the mall. I would love to see that kind of stuff. Like the, mm-hmm. the X-Men playing baseball at the mansion like they always used to do. They always had ball games every year. That kind of stuff is what I loved in the X-Men and the characterization, which just seems to be missing from the films for me. Uh, because the films treat them all interchangeably. They don't care whose powers belong to who or who acts like what or why Mystique's there a thousand times over when she shouldn't be. Yeah, I know that star power is is important, but man, like it was just this whiff of what we could have had and missed. Oh, definitely. And, and and what I think Deadpool has excelled at so far, getting to be silly and fun, and everything. It's it's a very different character, and it's not mm-hmm. going to be the same kind of stories as what X Men films should be. But it was still like, God damn it, that was so yeah. good. So well, so well, for her but, part in that, I appreciate yeah, her. Yeah. So that's where I said, like, do you know who she is? Because here, um, there's a couple other ones uh, here. Uh, Luke Tenney, Liam James, who you will know as young Sean Spencer from Psych. Was he the one that was in? The the last other one I know of that, that he was in was 2012. The, you know, that disaster porn movie. Yeah. I don't know. There he, were that, two that, young uh, Sean Spencers. Yeah. He's so. the one from the way, way back. That's the one you're referring to. Okay. The, the Steve Carell movie. Yeah. And then Mikael Duval. But yeah, um, Deadly Class, honestly, it's a... Um, it's an image comic book, so that's that's another cool thing is we're getting more, like we're seeing the TV companies, you know, and the production companies getting diving more into image comics instead of just well, what's Marvel and DC got for us. It's you know, it's like oh hey, there's other comic book publishers out there. Basically, it's set in the '80s. Follows a homeless teen um, being recruited into a an, an elite private school where every crime family in the world sends their kids. He must survive a ruthless curriculum and social cl- uh, 
social cliques while trying to maintain his moral code. It, it's a little bit X Men. It's a little yeah. bit Wanted, and a little bit Kingsman. Mm-hmm. So it's two Mark Miller things, which were all Mark Miller stuff is ripped off from other comics, anyways. And and it's very X Men ish as well because of the, it's the whole class aspect of it. Yeah. But yeah, it, I read the first issue. I remember seeing it. It was just at the time that I was like hitting my my point of stepping away from comics, both because of financial reasons and just because it was there was a lot of stuff going on in comics that was just kind of underwhelming to me. And I'm not saying that this book was that, mm-hmm. but I was just kind of had my fill and I needed to take a break for a few years, which I still haven't gotten past. But it's more the financial thing, I think, at this point. Yeah. And there's, uh, for those of you guys who want to read the source material before it comes out, there are five volumes from Image Comics. There have been 30 issues, which I'm finding a little weird that the Deadly Class Volume 5 here, this is according to Wikipedia, stops at issue 26. So I'm like, wait a minute, there's, oh, though there is a series of Volume 6 trade paperback. It came out in December of this past year. But yeah, I mean, definitely check that out. You know, it, it sounds great. So on the other side, on the DC Comics side, hot off the heels of that Ready Player One, which, you know, did you hear that that's a thing, a movie, you know, based on, you know, a bunch of Steven Spielberg movies directed by Steven Spielberg? You know, you heard that, right? <laughs> I, I, I heard that he tried not to make it about Steven Spielberg as much. And then people were like, yeah, that would work if you weren't Steven fucking Spielberg. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe you should have sat out some shit in the 80s if you're going to be that way. <laughs> yeah. uh, didn't leave a lot of room for other ones, Dick. Uh, we we kind of have to put your shit in here. Yeah. Um, otherwise, people are going to be really confused. Like, wow, is this an alter universe world where where Howard the Duck was a hit? And, mm-hmm. like, and Well, it's, it's, it's also funny because of the fact that they, for... I believe it was for rights issues. They they changed in the big final battle. They changed what would have been Spider- the Japanese Spider-Man's mech Leopard into the Iron Giant. Right. So it's like you could have done any other giant, you know, thing. You know, made it a tra- made it Optimus Prime or anything like that that you possibly could have gotten. You know, the rights to. But instead, you're like, let's do this one. Well, that let's was, do that one. And I'll, I'll, yeah. I'm going to speak uh, on behalf of people who have seen the Iron Giant and love it. We're not going to get an Iron Giant 2. No. <laughs> Face facts. Iron Giant ends pretty much like, mm, that's that's it. It's a one and done. But it's so wonderful. Oh, yeah. And, I'm not and, saying and, it's and, not. And, and so beloved. And I know not the the biggest hit in the world, although I think it's found much more of a following going forward. Mm-hmm. Man, if that's the only chance we ever get to see the Iron Giant on the big screen again, then thank you uh, for doing it. No, yeah, yeah. I'm not knocking that at all. I'm just saying, hey, that's you know one of the biggest things in there. But the big thing with this is the article points out, you know, that hot off the heels of Ready Player One, you know, he's Steven Spielberg is diving into the DC universe proper with Blackhawk. Um, this will be a film. So far, with reading through this article, I haven't seen any of the words to make me shudder and that would be them trying to link this to the dceu i'm just thinking okay here um which it, i think would be pretty hard with how this is you know in the this is uh, blackhawk as a wartime adventure series 
Yeah, not to confuse anybody, uh, Blackhawk was not the winged co-pilot friend of the first black superhero, Black Lightning, over in the DC universe. Uh, Blackhawks were a team of fighter pilots in the World War II era comics of DC around the same time as we were having Sergeant Fury. No, not Fury. Uh, sorry, that's that's Marvel. Sergeant Rock at DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, World War II enemy ace, I think. There were some other ones. The, the losers, the original losers that the... Vertigo comic that became a movie later on was sort of based off of the same ideas, but uh, there were a few other ones. But yeah, so a lot of war comics in the, in that era, of course, because there was a lot of wars and the Blackhawks were part of that. Now, one of the characters, Lady Blackhawk, who's introduced later on in the series, she actually continued on into the modern continuity and became the pilot for the Birds of Prey series. I want to say when Gail Simone was writing it yeah. may have been when Chuck Dixon was on there, but I, I, I believe that she was a big part of it when Gail was doing it w- was a fantastic character. Just fun could drink anybody under the table and, and wasn't as much in the superheroing stuff, but was just a great voice to add to that group. So not a lot of interactions with DC superheroes that we know of. Yeah. So you're right. I don't know that this is going to be a we're going to do this and then it's going to lead right into the Black Adam movie. Finally, that's been talked about for years. It's but at the same time, I look at it and I go, this is something that could I'm using air quotes around there be tied in. But in the in the looser sense, more in the Arrowverse sense, where if you look at, you know, whenever the air anyone in the Arrowverse shows needs to go to an air an airfield what is it always ferris air and right. uh, you know it's these little easter eggy things that they could put in there that i mean we w- could easily tie one woman into this mm-hmm. because we know that she's around at that time since she gets established in world war one that's something that they could do to in post like because we know that our next movie is supposed to be in the 80s not the 90s uh <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> and that's mainly because she had some bad costumes in the 90s but oh yeah she did well, wow. <laughs> uh, she had some bad costumes in the seventies, though, and and uh, yeah, like, completely. Kung Fu Wonder Woman was a weird, weird phase of that that character. Uh, so there, there's possibilities, but there, I don't know that that's something that Spielberg's like. I want to jump in it. Like we know, Scorsese's talking about doing a Joker movie, but his Joker movie is meant to be separate from all the DC yeah. shared universe. Yeah continuity and i expect that this would be the same thing it sounds like it sounds like one it's something he could have come up with on his own and just done with anything but he was a fan of the property and has been a fan of the property for a long time well in in the article here it also says you know it also he he mentions the fact that it's warner brothers that did it um spielberg right. noted this is from the article spielberg noted it was wonderful working with uh, with the team at warner brothers to bring ready player one to the screen they bring a blend of passion and professionalism to everything they do and have a tremendous history in this genre. I'm excited to, re- to reunite with them on Blackhawk. So that honestly tells me, you know, it's, you know, it, you know, I'm not taking away that it, it couldn't be that he was a fan of Blackhawk, you know, growing up, but that the people that he was working with, you know, he, he it really enjoyed, you know, seeing them and stuff. Well, yeah, one, he get he just explored the the 
sort of comic book nerdity in Ready Player One. Two, he he's done Indiana Jones and yeah. is working on a, a fifth one currently. Indiana Jones is very era linked to to this kind of storytelling. It it makes sense in all ways. If you if you're gonna pick a DC property, this is a good property for him to come into, especially if it's not hugely tied to everything else, so he doesn't have to work out like, oh, how do we lead this into the next DC yeah, film yeah. and and give a, a shared universe thing and and when Dark Side's finger kind of come reaching through the fucking screen at them. <laughs> and there's still a lot of fun here, but it, it takes the the onus off of him to try to create a new property. It, it's it's going to give that added kick of there is people out there who already understand who these characters are. So it does have, I'll, I'll say probably a limited at this point in time because it hasn't been published in so long, but an existing fan base. So he doesn't have to like pretend because they could have done something like uh, Sky Captain in the World's Tomorrow, which is very neat, but didn't catch on with the audience. It might have been too ahead of its time. But if anything, it's probably going to be closer to like Speed Racer. Yeah. Which is Speed Racer was a property that hadn't been around for years. There was certainly a, a huge amount of old fans who were nostalgic for the thing and had seen reruns and stuff when they played on Cartoon Network. But Speed Racer also didn't do very well. And and I think it's probably after The Matrix, one of the Wachowski's best films, uh, maybe their best films after the original Matrix just didn't catch the audience at that point. But I think, again, we look at it in hindsight and we're like, oh, that's actually pretty solid Yeah, because it, it's true to the characters. It's it's a fun movie. It's just visually it was unusual. And I don't know that the audience knew how to react to it at that point. I think this is good. Yeah. You know, if, if DC can, DC has a lot of properties that they should get out there that they, mm -hmm. they could have fun with. And and if they find the right people who have a genuine interest towards those things, and I mean a real interest towards what the property is, not just like, oh, I want to shoot a movie about people who fly, so I'm going to use Hawkman, and I'm going to get rid of all the Thangar stuff, which I've kind of done in Hawkman sometimes too, uh, and I'm going to get rid of all the, the Carter Hall and, and Timeless Shara Carter stuff which they've kind of done sometimes too. And I'm just going to do this thing where they've all got hawk wings, but instead they all come up from the ocean and like people would be pissed because it's not Hawkman. Yeah. In this case, it sounds like this is Spielberg saying, Hey, this is a movie that I want to do. And I'm, I'm kind of prone to doing well. And it's a property that I actually like, and I'm familiar with and know, and would like to do these actual characters that could work out great. If, if DC can land other stuff like that, if they can, do a Sergeant Rock war movie if they can do things that aren't all tied into the overarching connected universe because not all that stuff should go together or should work together just like they can do Vertigo movies and stuff and not have them all have to tie into this stuff they they should absolutely do it I, I think that that's terrific the last bit of news is that Paramount is teaming with F Gary Gray to turn Mask into a film franchise now before we get the started. Rocky Dennis story, finally, it's the trilogy I've always wanted. Cher's not dead yet. She can come out of retirement, come back, play the same person. Uh, we can get Eric Stoltz, and that's what we're talking about, right? Mass, yeah. the guy with the lion face. I was gonna do the joke of the Jim Carrey movie. Um, no, nobody wants to do that joke because that already happened. Yeah, and it was terrible. 
Well, yeah, that, Sun that Mask was, was oh yeah, but that was also yeah. mainly because that was uh um Jamie, Jamie Kennedy. Kennedy. Yeah, I, and, I think Jamie Kennedy can be good in things sometimes. Yeah. Before, <laughs> I don't know. Isn't he in the new Tremors? I feel like he's he's been like hanging out with Michael Gross in the Tremors movies. I think so. I think so. But I mean, I'm gonna say something that might irritate people, and I'm not gonna do it because I, I was just gonna compare Tremors to. Sharknado, which I I do not like. Sharknado, I do not get the hype over Sharknado. I don't get the s- hype over Sharknado, other than the fact that I I think it was it was a surprise when the first one happened. Like, oh, this is campy, but in the right ways. Yeah, and and they got the campiest actors in the right ways, and they and they all knew what it was, and they didn't you try mean, to make the, it something the, else. You mean the campiest actors, a.k.a. the actors from a lot of teen uh, teen comedy movies from the late 80s and early early 2000s? Well, we got 902 and I with the insert. But yeah, it... it and Tara Reid, who hadn't been in anything in a while. They did Sharknado, and they didn't try to make it serious. Yeah, They went full-on into it like what Bruce Campbell was doing with the Army of Darkness stuff at that point. And that gave it something that the other sci-fi movies weren't doing which is just we know this is stupid so let's just have a great old fucking time with it and mm-hmm. and they did and that's why it was okay i don't know that it earned five movies but probably tremors hasn't either but you, you just you keep going back for the nostalgia of it it's 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 fine the first tremors was great yeah. Yeah. The, the the ones after that have been Progressively not as great, but there's still a chance he can come back. Plus, Kevin Bacon is actually supposed to be doing a Tremors series. He, he'll be returning to the role. It's too bad Fred Ward's not around. To get back to the original article that we were talking about here, the mask stands for Mobile Armored Strike Command. And Command says, with a K. Yes. Always the right way to go when you decide <laughs> you do your anagram or whatever, and it's and you're like, yeah, we're gonna, it's gonna say this. Well, that doesn't work at all. Yeah, well, we don't care. But this is based off of the '80s Kenner action figures and the animated series. You know where it was a task force led by Matt Tracker, whose goal is to take out the criminal organization Venom all in upper, you know, cap lock letters. Uh, the film was produ- will, will be produced by Hasbro and Gray, and they're just, you know, they're plugging away, you know, getting a writer and all that. And we, it mentioned here, because we, we talked about this before, of, um, like, you, you didn't recognize F. Gary Gray, you know, only saying, because the article says that, oh, he was in the, you know, he directed The Fate of the Furious and Straight Outta Compton, um, and he'll be doing the Men in Black reboot that will star Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. And it wasn't until I pointed out his other films. He hasn't done a lot, but, you know, he's been, you know, started out in, in 95 with feature films where he he directed the first Friday movie. And the first Friday movie is is pretty good. I yeah, I've seen the sequels a lot more because they played them in cable a lot in the break room mm-hmm. when I was working retail. But obviously the first one with Chris Tucker is yeah. is very good. Uh, and you said he did the Italian job yep. remake, D- he which directed- is one of those movies that I know is not good, but I love it and I rewatch it whenever oh, it's it. on. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can't not watch it. It's the only Mark Wahlberg movie that I allow myself, I think. And and I, I just, I'm so in love with it. I don't yeah. know why. And also the, um, let's not forget that same year, he did the movie A Man Apart, the 2003 American Vigilante action film starring Vin Diesel. 
and uh and Lorenz Tate. I, I just recognize that movie because that was one of those I think my sister was really into. Like she was in a lot of those a, a lot of like those types of movies, and I'm like, all right, cool. Diesel's hey. emotional side. <laughs> yeah. Which um, I can't make fun of because his emotional side is what part of what makes me love Iron Giant so much. Yeah. And then also, of course, Be Cool, which was, as we, we talked about in the pre-show, one of The Rock's big breakout roles outside of, hey, I'm going to do an action movie. Yeah, The Rock playing something that was against type. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen Be Cool. I, I'm a very big fan of Get Shorty. Be Cool was the sequel, but I don't know how much Elmore Leonard was actually involved in that one and a lot of people say that it's not as good but the rock is supposedly very funny in his part in it uh back to the mask show because mm -hmm. you're not familiar with it because again this is the 80s and you were born in 89 mm -hmm. so like we were talking about earlier with what set the 80s apart in the 80s man shows about cool vehicles were huge uh and that's that's going back to the 70s too you have your night rider uh, which is a talking car. You have your Dukes of Hazard, which is the show about a racist car, and you have uh, your, I'm kidding, but not really. <laughs> we we didn't know. We didn't, we didn't understand. We didn't yeah. know the general lady. We didn't get it. We were just we were just kids. We just thought the car was cool. Oh, the doors are welded shut, so you have to get in through the windows. How awesome for no reason at all. It's like really because opening doors works fine. That, that doesn't make it cooler. It was just oh, the jumping across the creek all the time that made it cool. Exactly. The Duke. Yeah. Exactly. Because that's, <laughs> I, I tell you right now, dude, I want, I try, I tried that. But again, being a bigger kid, I so tried to do that all the time with, because Duke's Hazard were always on repeat. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, so it's like, I tried to get in there and mom and grandma were just like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to be like the Duke boys. Leave me alone. And I, I know in the back of the head, like, but you're fat. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like a in a heart way it was like you know you're gonna get stuck and then i'm gonna have to help you and that's not gonna be possible because you outweigh me sort of thing <laughs> I uh, get stuck, though. but yeah in the 80s we also got the delorean in back mm -hmm. to the future we had the eight a team van we had we had a lot of cool vehicle vehicles so mask was about a team of guys that they wore these helmets and the helmets gave them certain abilities, but then they also drove these vehicles and the vehicles would transform. And I'm using transform very, very loosely uh, because Matt Tracker's car was like a Trans Am looking thing that the it had the suicide doors that would pop up, but then because they would pop up, suddenly it could fly. And it made no sense as far as physics. And of course he's flying around with the doors wide open. So the bad guys, who I believe were Venom in the show, could yeah. shoot at him. There was nothing protecting him at all. Random pigeon could have taken that motherfucker down uh, as long as it was a face shot because in the face, he's wearing the helmet. But that's all it was. People wearing elaborate helmets that gave them some sort of ability, but it seemed like all that shit really just came down to we're all driving these weird, cool vehicles. Mm -hmm. And then Tracker had a son that would ride around in the scooter and the scooter would turn into a robot or the robot would turn into the scooter. So it was like the same bullshit of like, I'm your, your fucking nanny and I'm annoying as shit. It's, it's your Orco slash snarf crap. Yeah. And, and, but like, but I'll turn into a scooter and you can sit on my butt and I, ew, weird. Uh, but that, that's what the fucking show all it was. Yeah, vehicles against vehicles, which is what GI Joe was, except GI Joe had actual characters that you could recognize and do shit. Yeah. 
it, and honestly, part of the Hasbro group that they're supposed to be trying, they were trying to make a shared universe between Transformers, G.I. Joe, Mask, I think Visionaries, which is even worse. We'll get into Visionaries yeah. someday. And maybe a couple other properties. I want to say Pound Puppies, but not really. But I do. Uh, it, Mask is, uh, it was beloved because as far as the cartoons that you came home after school and saw every day, the quality was better. I mean, it was always like you'd come home and you 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 had to sit through the filmation Ghostbusters cartoon, which was not based off of the movies. It was based off the old Ghostbusters movie from like the black and white phase where they had a, a gorilla that hung out with them in this old jalopy thing. <laughs> it was it was so awful. All the filmation stuff was bad. You have to sit through that. You'd have to sit through GoBots, and you wouldn't want to see GoBots. You want to see Transformers, but Transformers weren't on until like five thirty. GoBots were on at three thirty when you got home, so you have to sit through the fucking GoBots. GoBots were terrible. The toys mm-hmm. are terrible. The cartoon was awful. the The robots blinked their eyes. They animated robots blinking their eyes. <laughs> Someone decided this, and then went through the hard work process of hand drawn animation to make the robots in GoBots cartoons. Blink their fucking eyes. That does not make any sense. Even in the 80s, I was just like, I'm 10 and you're an asshole. All right? That's what I'm telling you, TV. You're an asshole for doing this. I should rip that fucking antenna off of you, which I did to beat my friend with it. Anyway, Mask, as far as quality, was a step up from that. It wasn't as cool as a Thundercats Silverhawks, which looking back, those had some problems too. That robot bears episode, man. But but it was still it was pretty good and a a much nicer thing to get to watch than yeah. some of those other lower rank programs. But it was dumb. It was it was even as a kid, it's like, sure. I mean, flying car, yeah, all day. Dig me a flying car, but maybe not this flying car. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, and, and and you're just a guy in a jumpsuit and a big helmet. I don't really feel like I'm getting much from the the super heroics out of it, but it could be cool. I mean, updating it could be a lot more fun. And this would be one of those things where they could have used the the bullshit hyper suits that they used in the first G.I. Joe movie that made no sense in G.I. Joe. It's like, hey, we're a couple military trained guys and we're going to put on these fucking suits that are going to make us like really fast and bulletproof and run around and, and look like we're moving the same way as Transformers did because nobody's sick of that yet, right? We were sick of it before it came out. Uh, so, and Marlon Wayans. Why? 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 <laughs> so, so uh, Dave... This is where is that yeah. So one Dave Nelson is asking the very important question. Tasteful Dave Nelson. Yes, tasteful Dave Nelson. Dangerous Dave Nelson. I'm trying to think of other radio per- personas that he's is shared that he's used in the past. Um, he asks, "What about Superbus?" Now, I d- I did a Google search while you were talking. I could not find a thing. The only thing I found was a 1976 movie called The Big Bus. I think Dave is just high. <laughs> uh, maybe he's talking about uh, Mega Bus. No, there, there's a band, Superbus. Well, I have no idea because, like, again, we're this is the pre my time thing. But what I would say is, I think um, it's from Dave in in the the early seventies or something, hanging out in a Volkswagen bus, eating some cool brownies, and uh, coming up with his own <laughs> concepts. 
Or it's yeah. any time that Fred banged Vilma and Daphne in the back of the mystery machine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know, and actually, he is saying it's the big bus. But no, so like, like from from hearing your description on Mask, it probably would have been one of those shows that I would have watched and loved as a kid, because I loved, you know, some dumb, stupid shows. Like looking back on them now, like, like Big Bad Beetleborgs, I was like, 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 yeah, I'm all for that. When like, and I was still at a Power Rangers, but it was more like, but these ones because they're Beatles, you know. It's well, like, I I've got to say the the. The Fast and the Furious movies, I haven't seen The Fate of the Furious, the, the latest one that this gentleman directed. Yeah. But I watched, I sat through seven. And and the, again, the ignorance of physics in that movie, uh, it's just, it's so close to what Mask should be. And if they make a Mask movie and they aim it towards kids and, and not try to adult it up like, oh, here's Megan Fox showing almost boob. Uh, <laughs> they actually do something that could be for the appropriate age group instead of trying to to deck it out to be like for adults and make it cool. It could be a really fun movie. Yeah. And and it could be the right move for, for this guy to be in charge of that. Because again, the Italian job, way silly, way over the line silly. Don't take any of it seriously at all. But it's fun. Yeah. This could be fun. I'd like to see the property work out. It, and there's not a lot to be beholden to because, again, it's it's 30 years old. So that is going to do it for the news. And we will be right back with the Else Views. And we are back and it is time for the Else Views. And this is the portion of the show where we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the TV shows, movies, video games, you know, basically whatever that we have been watching or, you know, and consuming over the past week that we want to share with you. So HBO did a documentary, released a documentary last Wednesday about Andre the Giant. I mentioned this because, you know, one, I, my love for wrestling, you know, is, you know, one of the things that I've loved, but Andre the Giant is one of those few people, you know, like to think up a list of people that have transcended the world of professional wrestling. I would probably say, you know, Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper. Uh, Roddy Piper, Ultimate Warrior was close, but not Dwayne close. the Rock Johnson, who we were just yeah. talking about. Well, no, I was going to do it. I was working chronologically, but yeah, uh, you know, the Iron Sheik, if you follow his Twitter. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson um, and John Cena. You know, those and, are and Junkyard Dog. If you follow the unemployment line, <laughs> he's standing right next, right next to the Brooklyn Brawler. Happy birthday, Brooklyn Brawler! By the way. <laughs> I'm saying this on his birthday. I feel like a dick. <laughs> um, but I don't know why I'm dissing junkyard dog. You be you, man. Grab yeah. them cakes. <laughs> but no. So this was the Andre the Giant documentary that aired on HBO that they were advertising for a long time on WWE. I think since the Royal Rumble. And I had seen other documentaries before. I know A&E had done a documentary on it on Andre the Giant's back in the late 90s early 2000s but watching this now did you see the documentary or i did not i've noticed that they did it and it was two parts right oh uh, no it was all one part oh as as it, it, it felt it, like i saw it, it it was one of those things that they did like a part one and a part two and then they like right after by a couple of days they did this elvis presley documentary where they've done two parts and they had just recently done a gary shandling yeah i know they had done a gary shandling one judd apatow 
Okay, so maybe that's why I thought it was two parts. Yeah, because Gary Shandling, uh, the Gary Shandling one, actually, Judd Apatow did that one by, like, he found a bunch of Gary's journals and stuff. And that one was one that that interested me. But, you know, but this one, you know, obviously interested me because of, you know, my love for wrestling. And actually, as you see, where I have a, you know, fake title belt here, I've had, I got fake title belts over there and stuff. But the interesting part with this wasn't, you know, because it does, you know, it goes through the year, uh, you know, from birth to to his death, and you know, it gave insight to some of the big moments. So, with like the filming of Princess Bride, and you know, just how bad his body, you know, how he was, you know, bad a shape that he was in, you know, with Robin Wright, where you know she says that you know they had to heart rig her up in a harness to lower her down for that scene where she's falling and he catches her. So she, he hit, he carried, he did not have to carry her weights and not because for, for what a lot of people don't realize he, you know, when he, he started wrestling at 18 and he had essentially what's called giantism, you know, where his mm-hmm. body kept growing, his body and organs kept growing, you know, even after he was in his thirties and past when he was, you know, 43, I believe. And he was growing up into that part. And they talked about, the the territories at the time in america where you had like like michigan had its territory and you know had like you had deep south wrestling mid-south wrestling uh you know the worldwide wrestling federation up in new york basically along the eastern seaboard right there like all of new england was the worldwide wrestling federation and how it was uh vincent j mcmahon so vince mcmahon's dad that I guess showed Andre the giant the most respect and it's where he was, you know, I'm working for you, but you're, you're going to do all my booking and stuff. And, and Vince, uh, uh, Vince senior would actually loan him out to these other areas and stuff. And they he always had the same matches, you know, he talked about his favorite matches were the battle Royale because, you know, that's just him throwing, you know, people out and stuff. Yeah. And then uh, handicap matches where it would be him versus two people and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, yeah, because he had and like he had because he was just so big. One of the interesting things, honestly, uh, was early on, they talked about his fighting style being more, you know, you know, being a, a lot quicker and stuff. You no, know, not being the what you typically see now with it's the, you know, he's a big guy. So it's all power. And, you know, he's like he's going to maybe raise a leg to knock a person down, but he's going to use his body and stuff where he actually moved around and stuff I'm like that's awesome to hear you know because i mean he was when he started wrestling i think he was six nine i think and then he um by the time he passed he was i think seven four seven four seven five but then you get into like they start talking about some of the tr- some of the the tragedies like uh it, it's interesting they had interviews with hulk hogan rick flair um actually rick flair would be one of those i would put on that list of you know having the the crossover but more in the because of what he did outside of wrestling you know and just the persona that he has and uh teddy was it teddy white or no teddy law no yeah teddy white who was his handler and was later on a a referee for the wwf there there was a part in the documentary where hulk hogan talks about flying to japan with andre and they show a picture of andre you know in two seats and stuff and you could tell that he and uh, and like how he felt bad for andre because andre the giant couldn't use the regular bathroom 
like they had to pull, close the curtain he relieved himself into a bucket and they dumped the bucket into you know into the into the urine to the bathroom that way yeah it's unlikely that it's someone the size of andre the giant would even be allowed on a commercial flight these days yeah i remember when they kicked kevin smith off a few years ago Mm -hmm. uh, and you know he's just normal fat yeah it was interesting to see with you know a a wrestler nowadays of the big show who he's very close to andre the giant size like like he's seven foot three or seven one seven foot three and when they started doing the the wwe started doing the um and you notice i switched between e and f that's because of you know the time frame of when they switched it they were when the world wildlife fund said enough of your shit yeah which I, i watched a video on that and it was fairly interesting but not the point um but when they started doing tribute to the troops thing and they were going overseas um, there was a, there's a picture, there's video of the big show, like just laying on, instead of sitting in seats, he's laying on, on stuff that's strapped down and stuff. And it's like, wow, this is the size of this man. And you know, that doesn't even compare to Andre the giant because, you know, Andre the giant, I believe had, had a couple inches on him. And at this point in time had, well, I think the way weighed about the same. But uh, Hogan also talked about the fact that when he left, Andre the Giant would just, you know, you know, out. He's like, he's done with the, you know, he's wanting to get out. And so Hulk Hogan, who himself is a big man, you know, he's not Andre the Giant big, but still he is, you know, I'll put it this way. He would stick out in a lineup of a bunch of normal people. And he hears these people talking about Andre the Giant, you know, just going like, and it's not really good. It's like, oh man, you see him? Oh my gosh, I wonder how, be-. you know, it's stuff like that. And it's just like, oh my gosh, people can be dicks. But yeah. the, the documentary is really good. Um, they talk, they got, they go in depth into his, the his humor. Like it was because they, they they talk a lot with Teddy White, his you know it's called his handler in here, and how back in the day when he was he was selling. Uh, merchandise for for the the WWE or WWF and he you know he was going into the locker room and there was there was a rule back then that only the referees and the wrestlers were allowed in the locker room and so he went in there and then you just hear you know he says how Andre the Giant just goes get out and he looks him like but I'm 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 when I work for you guys he's like get the fuck out and so, and like that and just you know dominated his you know just commanded respect in there and then eventually you know became friendly but then they get talking about the the wrestlemania 3 main event at pontiac you know at the pontiac silverdome and how hulk hogan who at this time because andre had been out with um some knee surgery or knee surgeries and back surgeries hulk hogan had really taken off you know and had sort of become the face of of professional wrestling at this point where he was so afraid of Andre the Giant. Like, he had written down how he wanted the match to go. Because, spoiler alert, the matches are planned. I hate to... Yeah, I was going to say, you're pointing out all these fake trophy belts you have. I'm like, well, they're all kind of fake trophy belts, really, but... Yeah, but it's... Like, he pointed out, you know, like, basically his ideas for how this match would run. And he goes to Vince McMahon, uh, Vincent K. McMahon, the current CEO of WWE. And 
goes, Hey, just, you know, this is my idea, you know, for what I have here and all that. And, you know, just pass it on, pass it on to, to the boss man, to Andre. And he was asking, you know, from the weeks and weeks up like, Hey, so, so you got any ideas? Oh, oh, we'll worry about that later. We'll worry about that later. Just basically Andre just pushing it off, picking on Hulk Hogan, you know, just, just tormenting him because he had already committed, which, which Hogan didn't know he had already committed to that match. He liked that match. So we get to WrestleMania and he starts doing the stuff and Hogan's like, Oh, okay. He's doing my script. And then they, they changed a little bit because Hogan did his best to work with the limitations that Andre had. Like right. If you, if you watch in, in a lot of the wrestling matches in the, the later part of his, you know, of his life, he's holding on to the ropes or he's holding on to his opponent throughout the most, you know, throughout most of it, um, you know, just for balance. And Andre, he goes, you know, he's, you know, he goes, he like, like they're in a the lockup and he just goes slam. And, you know, Hulk Hogan then picks him up, slams him and he goes, leg drop and uh you know like it's it's beautiful when you read biographies about this about how they call it 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 makes the matches so poetic because like i i even as a fan now i try to to see if i can see the parts where they're going where they're talking and saying you know okay this like this now and i very rarely catch it but you know it's just beautiful to see this and you know how it happened and you know hitting on the human side part of andre the giant you know hitting on his home in well his his home away from home um because he was born in france um in north carolina i think it was north carolina it's like the small little town where you would see him at the bar because no one he, he said it was his favorite place because one it reminded reminded him of home in in france and two no one second no one took a second glance they're just like oh that's that's just andre you know it wasn't right. it was that was andre the giant that was just oh that's that's andre rusimov it's it went a lot deeper than the like the the a and e biography did because the biography more just focused on the wrestling side it didn't really focus in on what he you know some of the things that he went through but again one of the other things i loved talked about the humor including an in-depth borderline graphic reenactment from from hulk hogan of how when they would be on private planes or in elevators, that would be, that would be Andre the Giants. Like Andre loved a fart joke. And so he would just decide to just let them rip. And he, he, uh, Hogan talks about how he heard the, the airline pilots, you know, at, at the private jets just go, Oh my, Oh my gosh. And he would just, how he's saying he like, you just hear like the sound of skin, just, you know, you know, slapping together and stuff. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is like, like I should be, this is disgusting, but yet hilarious at the same time. Like to how, like, and it just made me think of how funny this guy was and how he knew, you know, he had that comedic timing and stuff. And it was great. I loved it. Um, but yeah, check it out. It's on HBO. If you're a Comcast uh, subscriber right now, it is their watchathon to where you get, you can actually watch this for free right now. And all that. so I highly recommend it. But yeah, that is it is over on HBO, either HBO, HBO Go, HBO Now, HBO When. You know, it's on all those things. So Corey, you got anything you want to add to the LSPUs? You know, it's funny because I've been I've been going through I'm rewatching tiny home shows during my lunch breaks. 
uh, ones that I've seen before. I don't even know if they're still doing tiny home shows as much anymore, which is I haven't good. seen them as often. No, I, I feel like it was something that was out for a little bit and uh, and people went, well, these people are really dumb. I, I don't hate <laughs> watch things generally, but I definitely hate watch tiny home shows because of the people who are just like, yeah, I've got three kids and uh, four <laughs> dogs and a bird sanctuary, and we're thinking 160 square feet. Uh, it's just like, you should die. You should absolutely die. I hope your animals eat you and uh, and then move into a bigger place when they're all fattened up. But one thing, the reason why I'm watching that right now is because I've run out of the other shows that I was watching. I was watching Good Eats for the last year or so. And I was looking for something to replace Good Eats during my lunch breaks. And I was kind of sticking with the food theme. There are two things that I've watched on Netflix that were recommended to me. And this was the first one. It's a series called Ugly Delicious. Mm -hmm. It is a docu-series about food. And it kind of goes through each episode is about something different. So the first episode is about pizza. And they run through like it starts out in a very fine dining pizzeria place like not fine dining like overly stylized or anything but it's like the epitome of of pizza in new york yeah you know one of those places where this guy it's all he does he excels at it he has very specific rules as to what constitutes a pizza like you don't put seafood on pizza you don't do these things like pizza is this and it's new york style uh versus chicago style and and those type types of things but then they go to other places they go across the country they go in other countries they go to italy they they jump around and they look at pizza from different cultures and they do look at somebody who's who's putting oysters or clams i think like in the shell on pizza and does yeah. that constitute pizza and then one thing that they do is they order dominoes to that pizza restaurant uh, because the, the the main guy who is a award-winning chef he's like yeah but sometimes because i grew up with it i just i just want dominoes and and so they order to the restaurant and they're sitting there and eating it and he's like so do you think this is a pizza he's like i don't know what the fuck this is but you never order this shit to my place again or i'll kill you (laughs) does he say that oh yeah he absolutely does uh (laughs) but it's just like that's kind of the the whole theme of the show uh one of them is uh trying to remember what some of the other ones were but they they definitely go through because the the main star of it is i want to say he's korean so he grew up with korean cooking and everything that he eats he's he's always saying you know why is italian considered so great and he's like when korean's better and we do these things better like our noodles are better than your noodles yeah but it's just like the themes for each episode and they just go along and they jump around to the different countries and they do all this stuff and it's just such a great interesting show in the fifth episode i think it was it gets a little uncomfortable for me because they're in a nation that one of the specialties there is donkey. And I love donkeys. And uh, I could not really handle that, yeah. especially if I'm trying to have my lunch. Uh, and, and the guy <laughs> is like, look, I don't want to disrespect another anyone else's culture. I don't want to disrespect the people that you, you eat what you eat. You, you, you've taken to what you take to. He's like, this is my sensibilities should not be your sensibilities, but I can't fucking eat donkey. You know, I just can't do it. Whereas friend is like, I'm going to eat donkey. And it's like, seriously a prized thing there past that point. The rest of the series is just 
it, it's it's kind of like a no nonsense and and the guy like i said is very opinionated he sees things a certain way he wants things a certain way but he does expect and he does explore or he respects and explores other places other cultures and he goes around and he tries all these things and it's just i think it's really well done it it's the main guy is a chef kind of the the second person in the series that's with him is a food writer and and they're the two leads who kind of like walk you around through this. Uh, Aziz Ansari shows up in it a couple of times because he's friends with the guy. Michael Forgione from American Iron Chef is on there w- uh, when they're doing the Italian versus Asian yeah. competition yeah. thing. Oh, and Nick Kroll is, is sort of the commentator for that one because they do a debate and he's just giving them shit from the audience the whole time. <laughs> it's really well done. It's really fun. It's unfortunately way too short. It's only about eight episodes. For what I assume is only the first season, and I'm hoping that they'll come back. But it is good. It, it's it's one of those things that I could just kind of have on in the background doing other stuff, and I wouldn't mind rewatching. I think I actually have restarted it a little bit at home just because uh, I've watched Good Eats too many times. Um, <laughs> but I would I would definitely say check it out. Ugly Delicious. It explores food in a way that I think is probably closer to what you'd expect from a. Uh, not the not the guy who eats the disgusting foods, but uh, who's who's the other who's the other main guy? Who, he, Are you yeah. talking uh, Anthony Bourdain? Anthony Bourdain. Okay. Yeah, it's probably a little bit closer to Anthony Bourdain, but Anthony Bourdain, I think, goes into the cultures more. Yeah. And while this does a little bit of that, it's more about going in the culture specifically about the food. Yeah. No, definitely. The, the other thing it sounds like is the show on amazon with emerald lagasse uh i believe it's called eat the world that i think i talked about on here after watching the first season um because they they also had a pizza episode and but it was in italy where it was this guy who sourced all the pizza ingredients you know from the wheat to the the mozzarella to the sardines um for this pizza within a hundred and I think it's within a hundred miles of it, but yeah, that's, it's, that's honestly more what it sounds like is, you know, diving into the food and, and how the food affects the culture than just the, oh, well, here's, you know, you know like Anthony Bourdain, where it's more about the culture and then, oh, here's the food afterwards. You know, here's basically an excuse for me to write off the meals that we ate on the vacation, on the trip that we took to these places. Yeah. Uh, this one, the second episode was tacos. There's an episode about barbecue. There's an episode about fried chicken, which, of course, there would have to be an episode about fried chicken. Uh, but there's one about fried rice. It, it, it's just each of the themes. It just seems to go really well into what it's doing. And th- there was an, an episode where he's he's gone to. Oh, the barbecue episode, I think, where he goes into I, probably like Memphis or something or maybe Texas, where they've got their standardized barbecue. And then there's the Korean barbecue place. And he goes in the Korean barbecue place. And he's like, hey, you know, yay, Korean barbecue. But they're trying to make traditional barbecue of the area as opposed to their own original barbecue. He's like, why would you do that? You know, and they're in the back and they're cooking stuff for themselves that is authentic. But they're making the stuff that is to fit into the the clientele of, of everybody else. And it's the same thing. He's like, but why won't you do your stuff? They're like, because our stuff wouldn't pick up here. We're, it's essentially that they weren't brave enough to do it or they tried it and it didn't take and so that they found that the culture here wants more of this they want more of the same kind of stuff and he's just like 
so, but I don't get it because this is so good. And to him, it was better in a lot of ways. And, and he's like, I don't know why you would give this up. And so it's such a cool exploration of, of the cultures of the food. And, and I, I think that's part of what I've always enjoyed about Alton shows, uh, especially Good Eats, is that you understand more the history of the food and why the things are the way they are. And then you get into the food sciences as well as like how the, the components come together and what makes sense and why. But this is that, that culture of like, is our food a reflection of our culture or is our culture a reflection of our food? Yeah. And it's, it's really fascinating and it's, it's overall entertaining. There's, there's, there's a bit of swearing. It's, it's kind of not at an Elstner's level of swearing, but it's close sometimes. And uh, so there are points where I had to kind of mute it <laughs> or get real close to it because I'm watching it uh, at my workplace. Not that anybody seems to really care, but I try to be careful. The HR person comes by and they're like, turn that down. Like, I've heard what you came in here and talked to me about. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't, don't call HR. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's your not safe for work food show, but it's very good. And, and like I said, eight episodes, you get through it really fast. And uh, maybe at some point I'll talk about the other show that I watched after. That'll do it for the else views. And we will be right back. And we are back, and it is time for the else words. This is the big discussion point, which this week I have no idea what it could possibly be. I mean, it is an utter, complete mystery. For those of you who are watching the video, you see what it is because I'm holding it. It is Action Comics number 1000. I have the 1960s variant cover done by Michael Allred and Laura Allred because I am a sucker for the Allred's art. Like... I would get, I would get their, that Superman tattooed on me. You know, if the person could do, you know, could do their art justice, you know, and I would, I would, I love his art style. Okay. I'm going to say, I, I love his art style. But, I find that even your, your average tattoo artist can reproduce something pretty well. Cause that, that's yeah. a lot of what they do is reproducing. You, you find the really good ones to do something original or to put a, a creative spin on it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's nice when you find a tattoo artist who you can design something with. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we we come in there with our own ideas as to what we want. And sometimes, if you've got an artist friend who will help you design something, you want that kind of exact thing. But if you build up a relationship with a tattoo artist and and you let them kind of ex- explore and express themselves with what they're doing, you wind up with something that is much more individualized, much more special. And and that's kind of the whole point is yeah. tattoo artists are still artists, you know, and, and some are better than others, but it, it gives them the ability to to do more. But back yeah. to Superman. Yeah, back to Superman. And honestly, as Garley's saying, is that cover Superman, that cover Superman looks like the style from my youth. I don't know exactly how old you are, but yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the all red style. It is done in that classic comic book format. You know, he's also done, actually, I should say they, because I believe Laura did some of the colors for Silver Surfer over at Marvel recently with Dan Slott. But that's they've worked together a long time. And, and, and Mike's, yeah, got those very clean lines. It, if you ever have the opportunity, I don't know if you have, check out his Mad Men stuff, mm -hmm. because that was his creator own work for a long time. Really good, weird, uh, bizarre stuff, but, just beautiful to to look at and everything he's worked on is is kind of that same way it's just gorgeous 
Oh yeah. But we're not here talking about that cover. No, we're talking about the other things that were in it. So this is the 80 page super spectacular image, you know, spectacular book that this is. It is actually thick. So this is the one problem I have because it is so big. They didn't do the traditional staple binding. They did the graphic novel binding, as you can see right there, where it says action comics, you know, number 1000 on it. It made some of the panels harder to read. Yeah, I, I find that that's a problem. One of the things that I think we've talked about this before when it comes to digital comics, I'm still prone to read single comics mm -hmm. uh, in, in paper format. But when it comes to collections, uh, which is what I'd, I'd rather read stuff of anyways, I would rather read it digitally because with with collections you've got to worry about when you open these pages is the binding strong enough that it's not going to break uh the pages aren't going to come out in some cases because some stuff is just not put together as well as others and it's just it's a big thick book it becomes a little bit unruly sometimes it doesn't stay open it, it just sort of depends so that digital collection for that seems more interesting to me feels more comfortable to me uh, the only thing is when you've got two page spreads is mm -hmm. you have to have a pretty big reader to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I've with a lot of them and Garley's pointing out, unless you're willing to crack the spine. So he buys two copies Um, with this. I was able to get around it because there wasn't really any two page spreads or at least any two page spreads. That's like, oh, my God, I can't read, you know, because there's mainly the text and stuff where I'm of that same mindset of, you know, I would find it um, digitally and then, you know, read it that way. But with this, I was like, okay, I'm going to read it because I want to read this for the show because this is what everyone is talking about. Um, well, the so reason why people are talking about it, we should point out is, is that it's the 80th anniversary of action comics. Yes. And it is also the 1000th issue of a comic book, which doesn't has never happened and not. So I mean, I mean it's, it is a two for like, it was, you know, 80 years ago today, action comics came out you know and action comics started and we, we got the creation of jerry of uh, schuster and uh, siegel and this book where i will say right now it does have a steeper price tag at 7.99 i i was okay paying that because of the fact that you're getting a lot of stories you're getting dan jurgens uh norm rap rapmond uh rapmond you have 10 stories in here and then you have uh three pinups from uh john ramita jr walter simonson and uh jorge jimenez or jorge jimenez uh, but yeah all, all these stories were are so good in here um you've got the a brilliant story with superman and lex luther called the fifth season um, that was written by Scott Snyder with art by uh, Raphael Albuquerque. But yeah, just I mean, flipping through here for for the visual people, you know, Marv Wolfman did some stuff in here. The big one is the back part because that is the premiere of Brian Michael Bendis um, with DC. You know, a luck a little upstart writer. Um, who did some work over at, you know, over at Marvel Comics, um, you know, coming over to DC. And that's the one that's doing a lot of setup here. Surprised and, he didn't talk about his work at Caliber. Because <laughs> I don't know his work at Caliber. <laughs> um, 
so he is doing the you know he he's setting up the story for the short limited series that he is doing with jim lee called uh the men of tomorrow and the villain that they set up in here which i heard a lot of people talk about actually is really interesting and i'm, I'm not going to say why it's interesting but it's interesting you know with what they're setting up here i, I like it because it tell it's telling me that with brian michael bendis in here hopefully jeff johns won't have to retcon all the time you know and do these big event you know do these big issues like rebirth where it's gonna fix everything air quotes around the word fix where you know they'll have someone else who can do some good stuff some of the other people that got in here they got brad Meltzer in here doing a story that story was really good it's called faster than a bullet than a speeding bullet they talk about a lot about you know it's this is a crash course in superman there's a story in here about with vandal savage sending him back to the beginning and he's reliving everything um you know talking about you know like with the shield with the classic shield where he didn't you know he couldn't fly he didn't have you know all these other powers and how he was like a bull in a china shop and and i'm like dude this is this is just so good like i love this and i you know i mean there's not much more i can say well so this is what i wanted to talk about in this discussion why i recommended it for the elsewhere is that we are talking about a character that has existed for 80 years thousand issues of this comic uh, not to mention the superman comic uh the other the man of steel comics which bendis is now bringing back man of steel as a comic series uh i think there was adventures of superman there's been a lot of different material with superman tv shows radio shows movies it's just like lunchboxes everything and that's kind of what i want to get into and 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 it's reflected in this this book is that this character started out in humble beginnings you know it was a couple of guys who created a character uh that it's been argued whether or not uh they got ripped off for it or anything but simple idea which was still kind of extraordinary at the time uh sent from another planet that all his people were killed on uh arrives on earth raises a human shows extraordinary abilities uses them to right wrongs fight crime truth justice american way which was a big deal back then and for all intents and purposes that could have been it you know a lot of comic characters came out came and went and didn't make it these 80 years you know some of them have had revivals here and there but superman has been constant this entire time part of that constance comes from the fact that i think it wasn't the same two guys writing him. Uh, at some point, hands changed. And as hands changed and new creative minds come in, everybody put their own little spins on it. Like you're talking about with what Bendis is doing going forward. Will that have to be retconned or not? Superman has seemingly benefited from everybody involved bringing something new to the table, be it an introduction of a character. Now, some characters were there from the beginning. I assume Lois Lane some of the daily planet stuff and everything but other characters luther secondary hero characters like supergirl like for years superman was the only survivor of krypton then they introduce his cousin and they introduce the villains from the phantom zone and then they introduce crypto the super dog and Beepo the super monkey and the bottled city of candor and all of these other things that get brought in over time that build a mythos 
uh, the power sets change. He goes from being able to leap tall buildings in a single bound to actually being able to fly. We get heat vision. We get super breath. We get super hypnosis. And that's how he makes people not recognize him through his glasses. Uh, the flying backwards in time thing, the weird S symbol that he throws at the Kryptonian and Superman 2, which is probably just Kryptonian technology and only worked in the Fortress of Solitude. But the Fortress of Solitude is another thing that's added. All of these different things that happen when we when we look at the modern age of comic books and we see how tough it is to get a new superhero uh, at either company, at DC or Marvel, to launch and to be accepted to have their book sales reach a marketable level and and continue and not have to be rebooted or get canceled and put the character in someone else's book or have them get killed off or whatever. Like, how many successful comic characters have popped up in the last 20 years since the 90s? I mean, we're all excited about the fact that Deadpool had a huge hit in his movie and now they're introducing Cable and Domino that were introduced essentially the same time I think in the same issue, actually, as Deadpool was. Yeah. And we're just seeing them get up to screen. But how many other characters have come and gone in that amount of time alone? I was going to say, but even then, they don't even meet that mark because I, weren't they created it in 93, 94? Yeah, early 90s. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying, though, is that, but how hard is it to get, like, we, we've had a whole bunch of new characters introduced just in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, be it in DC Comics or or Marvel Comics. And the struggle to get those characters to take off, uh, to have their books, you know, make enough sales to continue to, to sell their trades and everything. Superman is 80 years old. Mm -hmm. And Superman has things ahead of everybody else. Uh, Growley is pointing out that Batman Detective Comics should hit 1,000 next year, and it'll be the year of Batman. That's another character that's benefited from this. We, we joked a little bit earlier about Wonder Woman, going through some bad phases of costumes and weird storylines. They've all gone through weird storylines and costumes. Dear God, Electric Blue Superman from the 90s? Whoa. Uh, <laughs> and then two Superman, the Superman Red, Superman Blue thing, which is funny because it's a throwback, but still. The, the idea of people say, well, Superman's boring, uh, and that's why it's hard to get him to work on the big screen. I can't understand how anybody can think of the rich illustrious history of the character of superman and just him yeah and find him boring let alone the the wealth of the supporting cast of of lois lane who is one of the most incredible characters in comics in her own right not just as a supporting character but as herself jimmy olsen and what was done with jimmy olsen in the stories by jack kirby especially Perry White, th these characters are so great. And then Superman's rogues gallery is easily in the top five, maybe even higher than that, of rogues galleries in comics. Superman's rogues, Batman's rogues, Spider-Man's rogues, Flash's rogues. Like, if you want to get the best villains, those are the ones who are give giving them to you. You know, that you, you just have everything to choose from from those four characters there, you have no loss of like, oh, well, I'd like to have this kind of villain. There's one, you know, you can you can easily pick from any of their sets to find a villain that will that will work out. And how they interact with those characters is just so cool. So when you've got a character that's been literally able to do 
anything and has had every different kind of story done with him. And every other company has ripped him off in some way to make their own Superman or their own anti-Superman. Uh, you've got your sentries. You've got your irredeemable. You've got Supreme over at Extreme Studios that Alan Moore did. So many different things of like, yeah, it's like Superman, but Superman's the real deal. And it's just like, it's kind of unfair because he is the pinnacle hero. He's not just like the top hero of DC Comics, but he is essentially the top hero of comics overall. It's unfortunate because I always was more of a Captain Marvel fan than a Superman fan. And it's because of the similarities that unfairly uh, found in court that Captain Marvel got shit canned and, and Foster Comics had to go away and DC got to grab Captain Marvel. But like they never put him in the same pedestal that they put Superman. Yeah. And, and and that's the thing with DC. It's their trinity. They know these are our money makers. It's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. And even then, Wonder Woman didn't seem to land at the same point. That's why we had a world's finest with Batman and Superman for the longest time. And and I'll, I'll point out something here for the people who complain about Superman being too, like whatever it is for being on the big screen. I mean, for the movies, yeah, it might be a little bit more difficult because people expect things differently. But I mean, you know, look at TV. Have we had a Batman TV, a live action Batman TV series since the 66 Batman that has, you know, lasted a while? I'm not including Gotham in this, by the way, because that's not a Batman show. Uh, um, yes, we have had Arrow, uh, <laughs> which Stephen but, Amell actually took somebody's insult on Twitter. Uh, Walmart Batman. And he's like, I'm, I'm owning that. I yeah. am using that and I'm owning that now. I am Walmart Batman. But that's but that's more to the credit of Stephen Amell and all that. But yes. but even then, so even you go there, you go Arrow. Arrow has what six seasons? We'll have six, seven seasons, I believe. Yeah, six seasons they've got renewed for a seventh. Still got four more seasons before you catch up on Smallville. You know, Smallville wildly successful. You know, with the WB and then into CW. But I, 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 I sort of challenge you: Is Smallville any more a Superman story as it is as Gotham is a Batman story? Di big difference between the two is Smallville truly is Clark Kent before he's Superman. Gotham is Bruce Wayne before he's Batman, supposedly. You see, until yeah. we see him in the cape and cowl, he's not Batman. And, and until we saw Clark as Superman, he was a red blue blur. He he was these other things. We had a Justice League in the series mm -hmm. without a Superman. We had a Supergirl yeah. in costume in the series without a Superman. And, and it, so it's the same deal. And it was always said, we're not going to make him fly. We're not going to call him Superman. You know, because as soon as we do that, that's when we close the door on it. And so it, it, it yeah, feels but... a little bit like they were ashamed which I don't think that's really what it was. It's just we know the audience that we're marketing this to. They're not going to buy a show about a guy flying around in blue tights and a red cape uh, with his drawers on the outside, uh, which I'm so glad are coming back. But we can do a, a drama, a teen mm -hmm. drama about a guy who feels different and alien and has secrets that he has to hide from the people that he's most wanting to entrust with the secrets. And then they just kind of ballooned out from that and his best friend is going to one day be his worst enemy yeah i will i will put it to you this way this is more a superman show than gotham is a batman show 
because I mean, you like with this, they're still hitting on the core of why Superman in, you know, how Superman gets to this point here, you know, gets to be the guy standing there with his hands on his hips, wearing his underwear on the outside, um, you know, with the cape flapping in the wind and then off to go save someone and all that. Where with Gotham, it's something completely different. I've I even heard them, you know, talk about how they're going to reboot the series next year, and I'm just like, um, okay. And I I understand there's a following. I don't want to rag on it because it's not my cup of tea. But at the same time, it just it seems like they're not hitting at the same, you know. They're well. They're I'm going to admit that neither is my cup of tea. Uh, I I liked. I had a lot of problems with, but I like Smallville up until Jonathan died mm -hmm. uh, because that felt like, again, when it stopped being really what I expected from a, a young Superman learning his power story because there wasn't somebody who could really teach him anymore. On the other hand, that's also about the time they introduced Lois. And I think Lois brought a lot to that show. Yeah. But, but with Lois's introduction, he should have been Superman by then. Uh, so it lost a lot of that dynamic for me. Still, it got them definitely not my show and 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 i i see your points it's just when you've got a supergirl show on tv which is which is great mm -hmm. you know you should have a superman show yeah but it it's difficult because once you have superman and i think they've they've addressed this a little bit with with supergirl too it's hard for the other characters to be at that level yeah, uh, you either have to depower the character, which takes away some of the the hubris of of who the character is. That not the hubris, the the um, admiration of the character. I guess is all I can say, because he's he's the guy. You know, when when people are standing next to Superman, they should feel like holy shit, I'm standing next to Superman. And it doesn't matter if you're Green Lantern, and it doesn't matter. If you're Aquaman, you should be like, yeah, but there's this guy, you know, and it's not like I think I'm I'm shit, but next to this guy. <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah, sure. I can I can I can pull my weight. I can't pull his weight. Wonder Woman can pull her weight compared to Superman. Batman can in a very different way pull his weight. And so it's it's the process of making these things. But once you have those three and that's what we don't have in the CW shows again, because how how much does Green Arrow shine next to those three characters? How much does the Flash, you know, if he's super fast, we, we saw that in the Justice League movie. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, I'm super fast. Oh, fuck. Superman's just as fast as I am, it looks like. Or at least really close, and it's going to fuck me up. That kind of stuff is, again, did Superman become too powerful? And did he come become too powerful because over time, each person who came in wanted to put their new spin on it and they did that with a new power or yeah. they, they were like, Hey, I've created this thing and uh, I want Superman to be able to fight the villain. But the only way he can pull out of it is if he can do this special thing that we've never had him do before. And they would do that on Smallville all the time, especially in the early seasons. Like when they introduced the heat vision, it was like they alluded to it in that episode, but it's not like they had alluded to it for weeks going into it. It was just all of a sudden, well, I need heat vision and here it is. That's that's the kind of storytelling that is aggravating because it's the deus ex machina, but it is what happened over the years. And so now mm -hmm. Superman has so many different things. You know, he, he's been a super genius. Uh, he, he's he's 
been a scientist. He's been all these different things in the comics that the only way to bring it back is to reboot him or to depower him in some way. And that's that's tough. It, it's not I, as bad as taking away the marriage, uh, yeah. which which has killed things. But that's another part, too, is that we're in an era now where Superman has a kid mm-hmm. and Batman has a kid, you know, and and these kids have, have personalities have and these and they they've had their own comic and stuff. So we have moved past like Superman, as I knew him, wasn't married to Lois Lane. He didn't get married to her until the 90s. And that was just because they wanted to beat the Lois and Clark show. <laughs> but they they definitely have like a kid now, which is like that's a permanent thing. And it leads to a do you keep going forward with that? Does that kid grow up? Does Superman age when that kid grows up? Because Superman has constantly been in his 30s. Yeah. Like, as long as I've known him, he's always been in his 30s. Unless you're talking about Earth 2 Superman, where he got to age with Lois and everything. That's just been where he is. Batman, same thing. Batman's in his 30s. Dick Grayson's in his early 20s. Uh, when he wasn't a teenager, when they introduced Tim Drake, Dick got aged up. Tim was a teenager. But then it's like, now we've got 50 Robins running around. They can't all be in their fucking 20s and teens. Yeah. Uh, it's just and And that's the continuity issue. There's benefits... Because everybody has a Superman story that they can go and find and be their Superman. But there's hindrances because, yeah, but to make that all work in one big line of continuity, it's tough. You know, it, it, you your, your favorite Superman story contradicts someone else's favorite Superman story. Yeah, that's where I look at, like, personally, I look at the new Superman of China book where it's, uh, you know, written by Gene uh, Luen Yang where they limited his powers you know it was it was him discovering the powers but even then they they limited it with you know he has you know essentially eight powers he has super speed he has um was it speed it's speed strength hearing um laser vision but it, you know, uh, there's a couple of ones that i'm forgetting right now but i mean it's it's very you know it is limited and, they, and they're basically like this is it now if the superman of china book or you know the Justice League of China book as it's you know switched over to, if that you know still carries up carries on, which I hope it does because it's the only Justice League book that I am actually reading at this point, until No Justice, um, then I mean that part to me seems like it makes a lot of sense because you know it, and you know sort of solves this problem because it is a lot of the powers that when you go ask. Joe, Joe, somebody off of the street who, you know, only really knows Superman from like the movies and maybe Smallville, but doesn't really has doesn't know of, you know, or really care to look into the breadth of history with all the powers that Superman has had. Those are usually the ones that they say that he has like, oh, he's got, you know, the super speed and the flights and, you know, and the x-ray vision and the, you know, the heat vision and frost breath, you know, stuff like that. They don't get into well, he's got super ventriloquism and, you know, some of the other bullshit powers that he's had over the years. The, the things that are the bat shark repellent of Superman. Yeah. 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 And, and that's the Justice League cartoon did a really good version of Superman where they kept his power levels lower until that point in time where he's fighting Darkseid and he reveals he's like, you don't understand I've been holding back this entire time. 
because I'm afraid of what would happen if I unleashed my full strength on somebody. But I don't have to hold back with you. He just yeah. gets so fed up and he just unleashes and you see like, oh, shit. But that would be and that makes sense for the character. There's a potential power level there that he doesn't open up with because he he could do too much damage. He's trying to protect humanity. He's trying to protect his adopted world. So he can't lead with that much power. Plus, yeah. anytime you introduce that much power, it ups the threats that are put at you. You know, it's one thing for someone to push back their little their limits from time to time, show a feat of strength, and then get out of something. But when it's like, oh yeah, I can bench press this entire galaxy, it's like, well, then we know that we are not playing at a level that you're playing at, and we have to up our games to that. And so that's where it it's like, okay, shit. You know, but as a writer, you write yourself into a, a corner of how do you have something that can compete with Superman. And so yeah. you either have to introduce cheats or you have to introduce uh, 10 different versions of Kryptonite uh, or you have to bring it back. I, I, I think it's we've tried to make him so omniscient and so important that it it's a struggle to keep him in check with everything else. And I like yeah. a balanced team and a balanced world more. I like those kinds of stories more. It's just the same that it's also it's a little ridiculous that they've made one woman bulletproof uh, in the comics from time to time when she's got the the wrist the bracelets, bracelets yeah. that are supposed to block bullets. That's one of the cool aspects of Wonder Woman is that she would block the bullets with the bracelets and to, to make her bulletproof. It's like, well, then why are you why are you doing that? And and I I get that. Yeah, well, you know, they're not just blocking bullets. They can block other things, too. But it's still it's like that's that's a specialness of this is why she's cool. You know, the lasso makes her cool. The bracelets make her cool. The tiara is cool. Like The invisible jet for a long time was cool. And I, I just love that stuff, even if it doesn't all make sense. That classic feel. But again, so many times that I've, I've seen the DC Universe relaunch numerous times. We've seen it relaunch in our friendship and we have known each other that many years. But like I can tell you, in my lifetime, I've seen it relaunch. A few years go by, relaunch or mm -hmm. or soft reboot or whatever they call it at that point. And we kind of like reset, get back, do it again. And that's how it's always going to be. And so it's, yeah, it's weird when someone comes in and it's like, everything you know about Superman is going to change. Uh, well, that's great hyperbole. Yeah. But it's it's kind of like, how many times have I heard that at this point? For the new fan, it may be something interesting, but for the old fan, it's it's not. But if you can tell a good story, then we can accept it. And we know that everything that we know about Superman is going to change back at some point, and then it's going to change again, and it's just a constant cycle. But that's what keeps Superman relevant. Superman's also one of the things that has been part of the Mickey Mouse law, which is the copyright term limits that just... They kept extending copyrights further and further out so that other companies wouldn't get to do Superman stuff and the original owners wouldn't get the rights to Superman back. Uh, so they, they've, they've worked out stuff where they paid the families off for it. But the copyright laws, Superman should have been in the public domain decades ago, uh, just like Mickey Mouse should have been in the public domain decades ago. And it's at one part frightening to think, 
what if anybody could just have Superman and just tell the stories that they decide to tell with him and change stuff up? And 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 how hard would it be? Because just because you have the rights to Superman doesn't mean you have the rights to everything that is part of Superman's world and life, like Supergirl, uh, Bottleton and Candor, or Superboy, all these other things. But how weird would it be if like Marvel could do a Superman comic? Or how weird would it be if Boom Studios could do an actual Superman comic because mm -hmm. it's out there? Uh, or Dynamite or Avatar of all things, Avatar Press with their weird books, Superman having zombie sex. It, it's like that that's something that could conceivably happen and kind of does in the parody films anyways. But you you at the same time, copyright laws are supposed to expire for a reason. And and I'm both bothered, but they don't because of things like this. But I also still want to protect certain institutions and Superman to me is an institution more than it is something that can just be like put out there for anybody to have their hands in. I don't know when you when you think of the amount of people that you've seen write Superman books in the time that you've been reading comics. Mm -hmm. What is your epitome of of what your vision of Superman is? A lot of it, honestly, is and I will point out with this, I mean, I've seen what probably nine new writers <laughs> new to me i'm using uh, you know with that because um actually no I, I think maybe only eight of them because it ended with you know this capped uh dan jurgens or theoretically capped dan jurgens run on action comics with 1000 but i mean it's it's been intriguing because i came in during the new 52 relaunch so it was um, you know, Grant Morrison's run on action comics, but then what I gravitated more towards was the Superman comic that I forget who it was written by. George Perez was doing it at first. Yeah, George Perez, and then it was taken over later by some other people. And it was one of those things that seeing like a, a lot of the Superman, he all ha he had the same, you know, the same thing of it was save the people, you know, it's, it was to help basically protect his home because his where he was from is no longer there sort of deal you know that's one of the things that they hit at in issue 1000 and it's i mean i think it's one of the things that like you know see, seeing like they and they did create some new power sets um when they brought on john ramita jr to do the art i forget who they had writing the book at the time but that's where they gave him the uh, solar flare ability Right. But they, at the same time, they also put a leash on it at the time. And now it, I, I don't know where it stands now, but with him using the solar flare, it then made him human for about 24 to 48 hours. And then there was some other shenanigans of depowering him, which I think was, was probably just a way to retcon some of the powers where then they can you know if we need them again then we will write them in and stuff like that but i've i i think i forgot the, what the original question was well do you have a do you have your idea of what a definitive superman is between tv shows movies cartoons comic books like i in my head i see superman mm -hmm. a specific way and and it's funny because i've i've read so many generations of comics and seeing these shows and everything, there's so many different choices of what Superman could be. But in my head, he's still this one thing. And 
and it's not easy to just quantify without going through a ton of examples and stuff. Yeah. But like that's why I know in for me personally, Man of Steel felt so off. Mm -hmm. But it's still it exists in the same theory that Superman can be all these different things because everybody has their own interpretation. Yeah. And for yeah, somebody no, else, that is their Superman. Yeah. So I think for me, like with watching, you know, like like watching the the cartoon shows growing up and then um, you know, now getting into comic books, I think the for me, the definitive Superman is is the Superman that, you know, is like like I said before, is going to do his best to save, you know, to save humanity, to save uh, the little person just because of the fact that it's what's right. You know, he does the right thing, you know, here. And I, I think that's uh, where I can agree with you where, where man of steel, you know, where it doesn't really land because, you know, you see, you know, especially the end scene in there where he's, you know, fighting Zod and they're, you know, they're trashing metropolis and all that. And it's like, he doesn't care about humanity. It seems like he doesn't care about humanity. He just wants to, be the last person, the last Kryptonian on, uh, you know, in the universe is almost what it seems like. You watch the Jim Jeffries show. Yep. I like Jim Jeffries. Uh, I like his show, but at the end of every episode, he says, I think we can all do better. Yeah. And, and that is Superman to me mm -hmm. uh, is, is a matter of while people will perceive him as being perfect, the perfect specimen. That's part of why Lex despises him. Uh, is because he's he's both perfect and alien, and so it's unfair that this thing comes from another world and is the 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 perfect human, and so he sees that as a cheat and something that he wants to destroy. Yeah, but in Superman's mind, he's not perfect. Just like in Superman's mind, and this is something that uh, Quentin Tarantino got wrong in Kill Bill. Superman's mind, he's Clark. Mm -hmm. You know, it, in Kill Bill at the end, Bill is telling the story about how Superman sees human beings as weak. So he portrays himself as Clark Kent as weak, as uh, as hiding his powers and stuff, because that's how he sees humans. That's not how Superman sees human. Su Superman sees himself as a human that has extraordinary abilities. He was raised by humans. And so it wasn't until his near adulthood that he discovered where he was from. Again, in in my interpretation, in in things that I've seen and the way that I've collected in my head of of who Superman is, but Superman as Clark doesn't put himself above anybody else. Yeah, he, he looks at the bigger picture, and and it is that Boy Scout mentality. It is that thought process of like I have to do things the right way, and I have to. I'm the person who's going to help the old lady across the street. I'm the person who's going to return money that I found outside of a store, you know. And and these are the ideals that I try to bring into my life this is what is not necessarily attainable but what is something that i strive towards like this is why he's such a hero to me why why superheroes are heroes to me is these kind of things are the stuff i like a hero who struggles i like a, a hero who has boundary issues and and like isn't always making the right choices but i also like the heroes that do make the right choices because it's it's not necessarily a parable that's trying to teach you how to do that yourself but it is a nice example. Yeah. And Superman is an example and he's an ideal and it's important to have ideals and he can still have failings. You can allow him to fail. You can allow him to struggle, but not fail to the point of where he gives up his ideals. 
that to me is his biggest superpower is that Superman does right, mm -hmm. does what he thinks is right. And he can see when he makes mistakes and learn from them, but he's always striving for that being right thing and not right over somebody else, but right for everybody else. Whereas Batman fights for justice, you know, what he perceives justice to be. And sometimes that is not what's right as much as what's fair. Yeah. Uh, and 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 what's earned and wonder woman fights for truth you know that is the core of her character but is a warrior too and doesn't see being a warrior as being a bad thing at all yeah you know i i love those core concepts of those characters and everything else is 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 a stretch beyond that and and the gray areas between but i i love that concept of what superman is and that's what i look for and when I think of the character that it comes from his upbringing from John and Martha, mm -hmm. you know, those things that were instilled into him as a simple farmer raising, you know, this kid that yes, came from another planet, but raised him like a kid here and didn't say, you know, hide your abilities to the point where you'll let people die and don't go into danger. If it's going to expose you, it's like, yes, we have to protect you but you're still supposed to be a good person. You know, yeah. you're still supposed to look at the big picture and say, you know, if if there's no way to save somebody's life without exposing who you are, then yes, of course, you're going to expose who you are. We just want you to always know that that should be the, the worst case scenario. But in that scenario, do it. Absolutely mm. do it. Because I think anything less than you're not a person anymore. You're not a human being. You know, you're 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 something else. You're you're something that's supposed to be feared because you don't know how to make the right choices because Superman's powers are too much in the hands of anybody who has that kind of doubt. Yeah. Of what's right. That's why the character is is relevant. All through the 80 years and beyond. Is that that's that's how we should feel is if if, if I have to let myself do something that I think is wrong. You know, or if I let myself take advantage of things because of my abilities, because of my powers and stuff, if I let myself become a sports star because I can, because I'm better than everybody else here, that's a cheat, you know, and that's that's not interesting. You know, that's a villain. <laughs> it's, it could be an interesting villain. It's not an interesting hero. But no, yeah, I mean, that's you've you've done it again Corey. you've <laughs> you you've, you've made great points and honestly i mean there's a lot i could just echo but i mean that just make the show longer so i i will end i will end it with this what is the viewers listeners what is your iconic superman what makes superman true to you or what makes superman not true to you what what yeah. is it about superman that you don't like and what kind of hero do you like? And it's it's cool if you if you like Spider-Man because his life is a mess or or you like Hulk because his his whole thing is tied to losing control. That's there's no wrong answer on that. No, it's this is one of those questions that we ask to get to learn to start a discussion. And you can start those discussions by contacting us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966 or emailing us mail at elsnerds.com. I encourage both of those options 
or even you know finding us on facebook um over at facebook.com slash galactic netcasts you know posting there about like hey and just mentioned else nerds and all that or on twitter at else nerds at galactic netcasts you know or at you know at myself you know you know message me on there you know at that gregor saying hey this is my guy i will talk about that on the next you know after i right after i see that on the show being like hey this guy brought this up what do you think about that also on you know with the other things if you want to subscribe or you want to send people or tell people where to go to subscribe go to gncasts.com slash subscribe and it'll have all the links to the mega feeds for individual shows all that stuff right there and you can follow our producers um, our producer uh, beatmasters at beatmaster80 he had to drop out this uh this evening which is why i'm running the show here um, although he did prep yeah. for us like he always does yeah the guy doesn't take a break from from producing or helping this show and many other shows uh but he does deserve to sleep once in a while yes yes exactly and also like like i said i mentioned before um also on the if you go to the else nerds youtube channel you will find a a certain wrestling beta program if you liked my talk on andre the giant where i talked about wrestlemania weekend went for about an hour there talking about you know about that over at you know the youtube you can find it here through the galactic network stuff uh, but also you can find my twitch where when i get caught up on these things called comic books i will get yeah you know, and i'll do more over there at twitch.tv slash that gregor Corey, you got another show you got like you're like mr show over here you have well, I'm just going to talk about because we've had to miss a couple of weeks of of one show uh, yeah. because of family emergencies. Uh, I will talk about the other show that I do here on the Galactic Network, and that is Podcast of Terror. Uh, me and Matt Stein sit down every week. We talk about a horror themed movie and just kind of have a discussion about what we thought of it. We we give the rundown of it, so it is spoiler heavy, but we encourage people. At the end of each episode, we'll tell you what the movie is that we're doing the next week. So if you want to watch first to then be able to listen along and and we're not movie reviewers. Uh, we're just a couple of, of assholes that that talk shit out and and compare these things to each other and, and try to have a good time doing it. Yeah. So GNCast.com slash pot. Yep. And for the other show that should be starting up here, you know, starting back up here relatively soon. It is at stfucast.com. That is solutions to fix the universe cast.com. Don't type out the whole thing. It's just the initials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as always, I mean, I got to give a plug because I love the work there. Uh, don't ask comics.com. It's where you can find the art of Levi Krauss and with the stuff that you helped him write with Balyar and all that. It's, you know, really good stuff. Even if it's, you, know, you haven't done anything with it it's still good because there's i'm pretty sure there's a lot there where people can find like oh hey i remember this there's remember? a lot of back catalog uh i need i fully intend to get caught up with it i've been a little frayed uh in in the the mindset for a while but i my hope is to get back there and at least finish out the two current series that have been posting the fourth issue of spells which is his comic with chris yambar about three little very very vile witches and uh levi's world the original comic series that i met levi when he was just about to launch and had been doing stuff on his own one of my favorite comics of all time certainly the the inspiration as to why i wanted to work with levi so bad and help build our friendship so levi's world 
I will finish posting the last couple issues of that as well. But you can check the back catalogs, Bayar, Strobe, uh, Shock, the comic he does with uh, Scott Hall, which is just really random and weird. Uh, <laughs> all that stuff there. It, it, so if you go to donutscomics.com, it will take you to links to each of those things. Yeah. And as always, we give the plug for Sean Burns because it's really a way of our fans here to go, hey, Sean, you coming back? Um, you know, when are you coming back? You know, that's he's of course at S Burns PA. And the final thing to be said is this has been a Don't Tell Glenn production. We will see you next week. Or else. Galactic Network podcast, go to gncast.com. That's gncast.com.